G3 Assistance through Virginia's community colleges is your pathway to a new future, helping those who qualify pay for school and train for the right career, right where you are, right now. Learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3. Do you know, I'm a really good, I'm just off the top of my head, I'm a really good parallel parker. Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves. We are still on a collision course with Allegiant Stadium. Eight days from today, the biggest party of the summer, Summer Slam. We are going to break some things down for you, of course, to help me navigate these choppy waters. He is the Donnie to my Jeff Lebowski. I almost said Walter Sobchak, but I'm not entirely sure that you uh, have the, the bravado needed to be Walter Sobchak. He is the voice of NXT. He is Vic Joseph. Vic, what's the word, my friend? Nothing much, uh, Mr. Graves. Very excited to be here with you for another week. It's been a busy week uh, for NXT. Of course, you talk about SummerSlam. It's the night after SummerSlam, NXT TakeOver 36. So we had a huge week with the black and gold brand as we're moving closer to uh, TakeOver on August 22nd. We have the Raw Women's Champion, Nikki A.S.H., a great conversation you don't want to miss coming up in a matter of moments. But, Vic, you mentioned NXT TakeOver. Big developments this week, particularly two out of three falls. Yeah, Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, it's the undisputed finale between these two, which has been an ongoing saga. If you look at the two individuals for over a decade, so they're going to go two out of three falls, first fall traditional, second fall street fight. If necessary, our general manager, William Regal, will put the two inside a steel cage. So a lot of words are getting thrown around, but as we've seen at Great American Bash, as we saw at NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver, these two will tear each other apart. Can't wait to be able to call that match coming up here in just a few weeks. And the other happenings this week, LA Knight, Cameron Grimes, they have another match coming up for the Million Dollar Championship with a little twist to it because we all know Butler Cameron Grimes. But if Cameron Grimes can't become the new Million Dollar Champion, LA Knight's new Butler will be WWE Hall of Famer Ted DiBiase. So that's a little bit of a, a, a twist there. And I can't imagine... Ted DiBiase ever being anyone's butler. But Ted DiBiase well in the role of Virgil? Are you kidding me? Dogs right. and cats living together in harmony? The world is going to be turned upside down. I can't wait. Personally, I am most stoked for Karrion Cross, Samoa Joe, NXT Championship. We'll dive into that again a little bit more in-depth next week as we approach. Instead, I want to look back at last week. We did something a little different. We rewatched, relived SummerSlam 1992, and Vic, uh, you told me you sort of found yourself going down a little bit of a rabbit hole afterward. Yeah, man, because I had extra candy. So I, we never got into the zero bar. So I saw the zero bar. I saw a Charleston chew. I had a, a Yabba Dabba. So I had a bunch of candy still that I, I thought it was an to. Abba Zabba. Yeah, whatever it's called. And I had one of those as well. And so I went back and I really started to look at SummerSlams. And it wasn't just like the entire event. It was like my favorite moments, like Brett, Mr. Perfect for the Intercontinental Championship. Like, that oh, was yeah. awesome. Um, I went back really to maybe the 
era that you and I grew up in, 1998, Highway to Hell, ACDC, Blaren, Austin Undertaker, Main Event, Madison Square Garden, everything's oh, red, yeah. uh, Triple H Rock were in a ladder match, and it was the yellow ladder, which was very odd to me, but then the action figures came out with that yellow ladder as sure, well. Sure, it made so, perfect sense. You know, so it, it made exactly perfect sense. And then even like my favorite moment that I relived was going back to Shawn Michaels returning, taking on... Triple H and the story that they had that whole summer and just reliving some of those moments and really just sat there streaming the Peacock app, watching WWE old SummerSlams, getting ready for SummerSlam because we're going to have a lot of new moments that are going to be made coming up, as you mentioned, a week from tomorrow at Allegiant Stadium. But man, it was just fun just to sit back and relive childhood, I guess, is right, a way of putting Nostalgia is a great it, you know? time. I'm, I'm all about bringing the nostalgia back here on After the Bell, but also discussing what the future may hold. We now know it's official. We've got Bobby Lashley versus Goldberg for the WWE Championship. We've got Roman Reigns versus John Cena for the Universal Championship. Raw Women's Triple Threat. Nikki A.S.H. defending against Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley. And we just found out Bianca Belair in the rematch from WrestleMania, one-on-one with the boss, Sasha Banks. This card is already shaping up to be... Oh, and I'd be remiss not to mention Seth Rollins versus Edge, which to me already has the potential to steal the show. You've got Rollins, who never does not deliver on the biggest stage. And you've got Edge, who since has returned... I would dare argue is doing some of the best work of his career. You know, Edge wants to prove every time he steps in the ring that he hasn't lost a step, that he has gotten better over time. I have a feeling I'm calling my shot eight days out. I think Rollins and Edge may steal the entire show at SummerSlam. It's hard to argue. That's the one that I have circled on the card for me as as a a fan to sit back and watch Edge and Seth Rollins. And it's cool to think that, you know, you and I have talked and you've talked on this show before about uh, matches and rematches and this and that. Like we haven't seen Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair since WrestleMania. It's still kind of fresh because you still were left a little meat on the bone to want to see it again. Edge Seth Rollins has never happened. And right. this is something that they're taking back seven years, which is cool to even go back and relive that because look, the fast-paced world we all live in, we forget about things that happened sure. Not seven years ago, let alone two years ago, you know, and going back and John Cena, Roman Reigns, Reigns, we say it at nauseum, operating on a whole different level than he ever has to take on John Cena. So, man, this is shaping up, and these are mega matches. These are huge WrestleMania-worthy caliber matches and main events anywhere in the world, and it's going to happen can, at SummerSlam. And you have to expect that everyone who steps in the ring at SummerSlam is going to have that same WrestleMania mentality because as it stands right now, we've already sold more tickets because we don't have limitations because of the pandemic, such as we did this past year at WrestleMania, which was sort of a tease as to how amazing it could have been. Now the live fans are back. Allegiant Stadium is going to be packed. Everybody is going to be amped to 11. I cannot wait. Oh, and by the way, it's taking it's place in Las in Vegas. Vegas. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> I was I mean, waiting for you, you know, to bring that one in. That's just an added perk to the entire situation. <laughs> One of the things we discussed last week that I got a lot of feedback on social media regarding was Repo Man. Just just sort of a a small bit of our long (laughs) conversation about all things SummerSlam 92 and the amount of feedback I got and people who shared it happily, uh, my justification for why Repo Man dressed the way he did. If you missed it, go back and listen to last week's episode. But it got me thinking, what are some of the greatest characters. And I hate to use the word gimmick, but that's kind of what I'm leaning toward. I'm not talking about a personality trait. I am talking about a personality 
as a whole. And there have been a lot of terrible ones. I mean, we, we've had, there are websites dedicated to the worst of the worst. There are- Waylon Mercy, who scared the hell wait, out of me, by the way. Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, he's your favorite, right? This is a no, good thing. I, I was saying he scared the, oh yeah, he scared the hell out of me and he's not really appreciated is what I was getting okay, to. Okay, great, great. But then I look at Man Mountain Rock. Exactly. So there, like, for every Wayland Mercy, there is a Man Mountain Rock. For every Gold Dust, there is a Mantar. For every Hurricane, there is a T.L. Hopper. I don't oh, want to spend Hopper. too much time disparaging. Demon, that one broke my heart. Oh, we could have a whole thing about the demon. Oh, let's, let's talk about this. This is WCW uh, days. You, yeah. uh, for those that don't know, Vic is an Man. avid, obsessive Kiss fan. Uh, to dude, me, I was so pumped. I would have thought this would have been right in your wheelhouse. You had been waiting your entire life for the Kiss demon. I was so pumped, man. Like, Kiss is going to perform. I don't care that they're lip singing. Kiss is going to perform, and I'm watching them coming out of this coffins, the demon. I'm like, oh, this guy's awesome. He's walking to the ring all slow and methodical, and it sucked. I mean, it sucked. <laughs> I was so bummed. I I was like, I can't wait to get a demon action figure. I can't wait for the first demon shirt. He hadn't even wrestled a match yet. Can't even wait for the first demon shirt. This is going to be so cool. Wrestling kiss. And it was a wet bag of dog stuff sitting in. And I was so bummed at how bad that was. Well, that broke if, my heart, man. If it's any consolation, I'm pretty sure the demon can teach you how to hit a home run these days. If uh, that's what he's still Old doing. Old Torborg, yeah, he's still with the <laughs> Chicago White Sox as a strength coach. But back to your point of talking about the, you know, I, I think Waylon Mercy is underappreciated because he scared me more than the yes. Undertaker. And if yes. we're talking about characters, Undertaker's to me greatest character. Agreed. Put him out there, you Agreed. know. So, but Waylon Mercy, man, that was one that got me. Yeah, I, and I, while we're talking about Undertaker, I think we need to mention Kane, Kane, yep. the Big Red Machine, which I think history has told us was not meant to be a long-term character in WWE programming. And this past year, we had the honor of inducting Kane into the WWE hall of fame. Uh, the, the, what Kane was able to do with a ridiculous story for all intents and purposes and carve out a hall of fame career. That just speaks volumes to what he was capable of. The hurricane, the hurricane gets a lot of love. He's still able to, to, Busted out from time to time and do, you know, comic cons and appearances. Hurricane was cool. He was way over the top, but there was something still believable about him while being entertaining and ridiculous. Uh, and, and I think a lot of these traits we, we can, you know, discuss with Nikki A.S.H. later on in the show. But uh, who else stands out? You know, if you talk Hurricane, you got to talk Mighty Molly, who also is just enshrined sure, sure. into the WWE Hall of Fame. You, you take a list of list a lot of characters that you just routed off. You know, Undertaker, Kane stand out the most. Um, I mean, Scott Hall became a human or was humanized, but as Razor Ramon coming down with all the machismo. I mean, that was a cool character. I don't at think the that time. was. A, I didn't think that was too you over the you top. Wouldn't give that no, a, no. You wouldn't give that a gimmicky character. I would never say I that was over the top. I didn't know if he was Scarface or what he was when I was a kid growing up. I'll tell up you now. what he was. He was the coolest guy that I ever laid eyes on in my young life. <laughs> I wanted to a, be Razor Ramon. Uh, so I, I would have thrown Razor Ramon in there because of Scott Hall's persona years later and, and being the man. I also would look at Diesel in the same way because he did become Kevin Nash. But Undertaker, Kane, they're the ones that stand out the most to me. I mean, you could take the NWO and think about the, you know, Blue World Order. If you saw her talking about Blue Meanie and stuff like that, because some people love them. My brother loved I them. I love, I love the Blue Meanie. Uh, to you this know, day, me, Meanie and I go way, way back. Great my brother's being. My brother's favorite wrestler, by the way, is Duke the Dumpster Drossy. If we're talking about, you know, characters and, and gimmicks, I never understood Duke the Dumpster Drossy. He was, was a trash man, Vic. I understand dumpster, that. He, he emptied trash and he beat people up on weekends. 
Well, I, I, it, I get it what wasn't he, exactly. I, I get that, but when I watched as a kid, I was like, he's a garbage man. I'm not. This wasn't like a Machiavellian man. character. He was a w- garbage man. Would you say that early Spinach stages? Finishing was the trash compactor. Vic. Oh, it was a trash compactor, yeah. wasn't it? Would yeah. you consider Hunter Hearst Helmsley to be somewhat of a? Yeah, when he was the, the Greenwich Blue Blood. Yeah, when he was that goes. Yeah, the with his dressing. riding pants, sure. I mean, but obviously, with all all of the greats generally evolve. Uh, and I, I got to throw Goldust in the conversation, man. Goldust to me was so over the top. And despite the fact that Goldust had an amazing run in WWE, I would dare say, especially at its peak when it was at its most bizarre, Goldust was way ahead of its time. He was so far ahead of his time. You know, I think back to what we knew Goldust when we both got to the WWE and the longevity of the character itself. I try to forget about the artist formerly known as Goldust. But that like year, year and a half where it was just very simple gold. Marlena was on the outside winning the Intercontinental Championship. She's smoking a cigar and he's doing things that, you know, I would go like, oh, I don't know if I'm supposed to be watching this right now. My mom's sitting right here and you're seeing him like in the ring moving around. Yeah, he was way ahead of his time. And we mentioned Edge. We mentioned Edge as, as having this career resurgence. But what about the brood? Best I was theme song, the man. Big, oh, no doubt. Coolest entrance maybe to oh. this day. Gangrel is another guy who I've, after after the brood, post-brood Gangrel became one of my greatest rivals uh, over in Europe for, for many, many years. I actually wrestled Gangrel in a bullfighting arena in Spain the night my first son was born. And I have the newspaper article. We were on the cover of the sports section. Okay. It's a half-page photo of Gangrel and myself with my son's birthday on it because someday I'm going to have to explain to my kid that daddy was off fighting vampires in Spain, so I'm sorry I missed you being born. Which is a great story all in itself. That's what I say. I think it's way cooler than just like, oh, and I cut the cord. I was like, no, I broke a chair over Gangrel's head. Yeah, that was... That was where I was at when you were brought into this world. You think characters too, not to take away from your son being born, you take away characters too, you got to talk about Mick Foley, right? Mankind, Cactus Jack. All three faces, man. You know, I I think that was was cool to see in the early stages of Mankind where that was the first character that I can remember that entered the arena with a theme song, would win a match, and then would leave with a different theme song. I think mankind, man, I, I think the initial trajectory of mankind had it, it, it was so nuanced and sophisticated and there was so much depth to why mankind was the way that he was. I feel like if that character would have continued, we'd be talking about mankind on a higher echelon than any of the others, than Dude Love, Cactus Jack. I mean, Mick Foley obviously embodied all of them, but I think the mankind was probably my favorite because it was like, this dude's twisted. He's angry, but he's like this for a reason. What is that reason? It was, it was so much intrigue and mystery to me regarding mankind. And obviously he evolved and I think Mick Foley's doing quite okay for himself. But of the three, I would have to say that was my favorite. Yeah, I would agree. I know we have Nikki A.S.H. coming up here in just a moment. Would you classify superstars such as Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock as characters? Because to me, it goes back to the Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, that it's no, no, just no, no. So, that so person is- cranked to an eleven. It, it, it is. And any personality in sports entertainment who's achieved any sort of success obviously has a great over-the-top personality. I mean, I'm speaking more to people you can't relate to on a human being level. Most superstars that achieve megastardom have something about them that everybody sort of attaches themselves to or sees themselves as. When I watched The Rock 
this is this big, jacked up, handsome Hollywood superstar. He's an action hero. I mean, obviously in WWE is pre those days, but there was something about, there was a quality that the rock had that made everyone go, man, best case scenario. I would, I'd like to be that dude. Same thing with Steve Austin. Steve Austin was arguably the most relatable from a personality perspective because everyone hates their boss from time right. to time. That's Everyone the guy I want to have a beer with. Right, exactly. Yeah. I want to drink a beer with that guy. Oh, and if someone gives me some crap, I'm going to punch him in the mouth. It's sort of a an escape. It allows you to envision yourself. At, Hall and Nash were the coolest guys in the world when they showed up in WCW. If you didn't want to be those guys, just rolling into the other guy's house, jumping in the other, the other team's locker room and just walking up and punching the coach in the mouth, there was something cool about that. You could see yourself as, I'm more or less in this discussion talking about how am I supposed to relate to gold dust? How am I supposed how am to relate I, to Legion of doom? Right. Exactly. I mean, Hawk exactly. and Animal is a great example. That's a great characters. Bit. They were like something out of a comic book that you had never seen. And, but, but I, I don't know. I think it's, it's definitely too broad of a conversation for there to be a right or wrong answer. I was yeah. more or less discussing some of the maybe lesser beloved uh, personalities. Papa Shango. I don't think it's enough love. Uh, not even the character at the time, but also the man who also is in the Hall of Fame. He went from Papa Shango. We've talked about this comma, comma Mustafa, good father, godfather. List goes on. But when the Ultimate Warrior had ooze running down his face, I was mortified. No doubt about it. I agree completely. I think it's another one like Mankind. Had they rolled with Mankind a little longer, who knows what the Mankind character would have been. Same thing for me goes with Papa Shango. And to me, I see a lot to this day, people talk about Papa Shango and be like, oh, that was such a hokey, cheesy gimmick. To me, something like Papa Shango, because voodoo is a very real culture. There is a lot to it. There's a lot of unknowns about it. I don't know that I subscribe to it, but people do. It is a real thing. I have a, a voodoo uh, prince tattooed on my throat because of the, the meaning behind it. There's definitely a bit of reality in that that character. And I, I shudder to think what Papa Shango would have been able to, to accomplish on a longer timeline. So, you know, maybe someone, I know Xavier Woods, he's probably going to kill me for bringing this up. <laughs> Xavier Woods tried to rehash a version. I believe he was a younger relative of Mr. Papa Shango. Uh, oh, that's a conversation. Tell. I'm not going to, I'm not going to step on it. Maybe one day, if New Day ever invites me on their <laughs> podcast, I'll have that conversation with Woods. What about Mountie? What about him? What about the Mountie? You ever been to Canada? I have, and I Got don't no think problem. I We had the big boss, man. We had a Mountie. <laughs> All right, here we go. Now we're just taking this in a whole different direction from you the know conversation what? it started. It's it's going off the rails in a hurry. I think uh, it's time to bring in our guest. I agree with you. <laughs> For once. Vic, it is no longer almost time. It is, in fact, time to welcome in the reigning Raw Women's Champion. She is almost a superhero, Nikki A-S-H. Nikki, how are you this morning? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Good morning. Good morning. You already brightened my day. You're smiling wider than anybody that usually <laughs> smiles at this hour of the morning. So I appreciate that. Yeah, you actually seem to be conveying coffee. joy and coffee. 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 Coffee and joy is what it takes to uh, to take it to the superhero level. I'm going to start right at the top. It's been a few weeks. You've been able to digest, but I want to go back to the night after Money in the Bank, not to overlook your victory at Money in the Bank, winning the women's Money in the Bank ladder match. The following night, Monday Night Raw, you dethrone Charlotte Flair and become the Raw Women's Champion. What was going through your mind in that moment? It sounds like a cliche, and I'm sorry, but my mind was, it was just absolutely racing. It was just like everything, like just trying to just, 
get to the moment, you know, running running down the ramp and the, you know, the it was at the end of Monday Night Raw. So I was just getting to that moment and just sprinting down. And it's so weird because when it happens, you think you're going to be overcome with joy and burst out in tears. And it just wasn't like that for me. It was just, I don't know, jubilation and triumph. And like, I have all these things racing through my head, like all these memories and like thinking of the people that helped me get to this moment. But then I'm trying to digest everything. I'm trying to take in the moment and not, I think sometimes with like, in my career, I've always just went go, 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 go. And there's been moments where I'm like, man, I really wish I'd taken a second and like processed that. Um, I don't think you ever process stuff like that, but you're just like, I'm trying to take it all in and hear the crowd and feel the crowd. And then at the same time, it was like, not to throw a bunch of stuff at you guys. It was, all, it was also like, just kind of peaceful. Like it was kind of like a moment of like serenity. Like I did it. Like woo. Like so. It was just. It was a lot of mixture of roller coaster of everything. Like it was insane. It was really surreal. <laughs> well, it was certainly the culmination of quite the journey. I'm going to toss it over to Vic because Vic has known you a little longer than I have. You guys actually spent time on the early stages of your journey on the independence. It was, I want to go back for a moment and step out to go back to that Monday night because when you came running down the ramp, I actually got <laughs> off my couch uh, and Mackenzie was looking at me and that was one <laughs> of those times and, and Corey and I talk about all the time where we become fans again and I was genuinely excited and then when you won, I was genuinely excited for you, the person, because as we talked about, we go back to Turner's Hall, which Graves knows a lot about. I've and, been there. And AIW, and you always had a smile on your face, just like you have right now. The question I've always wanted to ask you, though, when did Nikki decide, I have to go to the States? Like, I have to go to America to achieve this childhood dream? It was, you know, I started watching, you know, wrestling when I was 10 years old. So I think I knew then that, you know, America was where I needed to be. And then I started wrestling in 2008 and I was kind of like, you know, all in the Scotland and then United Kingdom and then Europe and then Japan. And then when I was in Japan, it was like, okay, if I, if I really want to make it, if I really want to get to WWE, I need to go to America. Um, because for me, it was like, it was before NXT UK. It was, and it was kind of before that, boom of UK independent wrestling sure. because it ended up becoming such a hotbed um, but this is kind of before that hotbed moment where I was like I don't mean to cut you off but I actually no, experienced no, that because in the UK at the time that was actually when I first got my break was actually the opposite of yours I was like well I can't get booked here in the United States maybe I'll try <laughs> the UK so we went over there and the fans were just rabid. They were so hungry because the independent scene over there had just been decimated over the years. And there was there, the, the tribute shows. Do you know about the tribute shows? Yes. The Vic, have you ever heard about this? It, no, I don't know because if they still exist. I, the fact <laughs> that she's laughing and you're smiling, this has to be real good. So I'm very interested. It was a real thing. I don't know if it still exists, but there was a time when I first started traveling to the UK, which was around the time you were getting into business, Nikki, 07, 08, 09, that, that era. Um, it was kind of a running joke that the independents would often feature tribute acts and it would be like a five foot nine guy pretending to be the undertaker and doing undertaker's moves and using the <laughs> really? entrance. Yeah. It would be like undertaker versus Shawn Michaels. And meanwhile, it was like Steve from the deli versus Jim from the <laughs> auto parts yard. And they both had full elaborate gear, but, and they would, they would say, Hey, this isn't actually them. It's a tribute show, but, but they were running rampant. No. 
unfortunately, I don't think they run anymore. And that gives me so much sadness that they don't <laughs> run anymore. It was like ultimate cosplay <laughs> wrestling. Oh my goodness. But Vic, the, but the you scene, missed out. You missed out. I know, out, the, but the scene was so bad over there that they were just so thirsty for anything. Yeah, and when I, when our, we were all imports. And I remember a lot of the, the UK wrestlers were angry at us because we were getting paid to fly across the pond and come over and sell all of our t-shirts and all that stuff. And, and the UK scene was really bad at the time. I think it made us hungrier though. Like, you know, it was, I think we, it made us really hungry because we were like, well, let's, you know, to, and then I think that led to the boom. And then I think you had, you know, ICW played a part, play, played a big part in that as well. And you kind of, for Glasgow, it was almost like a big night out. You know, you would go, you'd have, you know, it was over 18s, you know, so for us, it would be like, it would be like a night out. And I think so, it, you, and it was, but you're right, 2008, when I broke in, there was hardly any females on the scene. There was Jetta was like the main one. Um, and there wasn't a lot of girls. So it was trying to really break out of that. And for me, like being in Japan, I was like, I need, if I want to make it, I need to go to the, you know, I need to go to the States and, you know, really get my name out there and build my brand up. And, and I think that, coming into like you know YouTube started to be a big thing and like cutting promos on YouTube and just I literally was just doing it was good practice for me to be practicing talking um and it was just I think that's where WWE was so for me that's when I knew I need to get to America well, let me ask you this in WWE we've had a very well publicized women's evolution over the past you know several years where where women have become a focal point of the product you yourself have been main eventing or at least near the main eventing uh spot on the show since you became raw women's champion uh what sort of struggles did you deal with prior to wwe because by that point wwe as a brand had sort of turned the corner but as to your point you made there weren't a lot of females on the independence in the uk what sort of some of the stuff that you dealt with that maybe a lot of people don't realize off the top of my head you know i remember promoters only wanted to pay women a certain amount. I remember, I mean, this this guy up in the you know north of Scotland um, literally said to me once, he was like, I would never pay a woman more than £20, which, you know, dollars, I, I can't remember what the dollars sure. exchange rate is. And there was one guy that wanted to pay like £5 for a women's match. You know? And it was like, you know, when you first break in, it, this is where, it, like, when you first break in, you know, you want to pay your dues, you want to get your name out there, you, you're taking any work, you're taking any any sort of experience, and you just want to get your matches and wrestle and, like, live your dream, and you want to do all this, and then some years pass, a couple of years pass, and, you you know, you're training at the wrestling school, and you're branching out, and you're like, I don't, you also, it's walking that fine line, you also don't want to be taken advantage of, and it's, and it's, and for me that was kind of hard because I was like I knew I wanted the experience and I wanted to get the matches under my belt but I also didn't want to drive nine hours or ten hours to go to London to get paid five pounds so it's like this and but then you also have this voice in your head being like well you know do what it takes like you want to be you take the but we've you know you we've always we've brought it up you know you go and you drive the you drive 40 hours for a hot dog. It's a cliche, but it's completely rooted in reality. That's the thing. It's almost like an insult. People flippantly say, oh, I'll do it for a hot dog and a handshake. That's actually how it works for a while <laughs> yeah, before you break and, in. And you're okay with that when you break in, right. you know? And right. I think the, the more experience I got and I realized, I was like, no, I want, no, like pay me 25 pounds. Like, <laughs> <laughs> our our producer me- just looked it up. 20 pounds currently is approximately $27 US. 
quite good then. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Like, why did I leave the UK? Maybe I missed up. <laughs> um, and I remember the, the other thing just kind of dealing with, just while I think in my head, it's like being one of the only females, it was a lot of, you know, I would have to wrestle guys a lot, which was fine, but it was almost like you get kind of, the thing is when you like working with guys, they can like base you for like things like, like double hurricane run or triple head scissors or do all these things that like you couldn't do with a, you, you and another woman might not be able to necessarily do just because of just physical limitations mm-hmm. is it sure. like you know if I'm working with another five foot girl you know I don't know if we're necessarily going to be able to do a triple round the world head scissors or you know whichever so I remember thinking there was and the more girls came up on the scene it was like you know I adapted very, learned very quickly. Okay, I'm not going to be able to do certain things, and we, and that's. But I like that because it made me focus more on telling a story and think about the psychology and the character work. Um, because I didn't, you know, I wasn't able to, you know, it, it for me. I knew that I wanted to work more with women, but there just wasn't a lot of women. So it was like, darn it! Like I have to kind of work with, not not have to, but like. I was working with guys so much and like I was so happy when girls started to come through on the scene because that's the, these are the stories I wanted to tell, you know, with other women, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. it's interesting to, to learn, man, you know, about the fact, Nikki, you were kind of at the ground level of women's wrestling in Europe and a resurgence. And there's a lot of people that need to look to you that maybe are in the UK right now, even at NXT UK and, and, and give you a, a thanks for everything that you did at that time years ago. The, the one thing I want to ask though, about that time to come to America, you were in university, right? Or college as you want to call it. And you had to give like a quote unquote normal life up to pursue this. Was there any pushback from the parents? Cause our graves and our parents, they just said, get the hell out of the house. I'm sure there <laughs> might've been, you know, a little bit more pushback for you. So I actually, I kept it secret for a really long time. Like I'm at, like, I was so, I was so like worried to tell them. And I don't know why it wasn't like, I mean, my mom was pretty overprotective as I was growing up because I was the baby of the family. Um, but I was just so like, I, I had it for like a few years, like, and I, and then I remember when she eventually found out, and I was like, you know, did you not figure it out? Why was there random knee pads in the washing? And she was like, oh, you know, I just <laughs> thought you were, you know, really I'm heavy into up. the gym. And I'm like, <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to need knee pads for bench pressing, but, um, but my dad was actually was really supportive because he was a he was a boxer, um, and he he had the chance to go to. I believe it was Canada, um, but he kind of gave up that dream because that was when they started having a family. Um, so I think he was very, I remember telling him I was going to Japan to wrestle and my mom was so angry. Um, she was really pissed off. And then my dad was like, basically just like, let her go. You know what? Like, just let her go. Like, she's an adult. Just let her go. And I just, I'll never forget that feeling of gratitude that he he really had my back with that and um you know and then it was even scarier telling my mom hey I'm moving to America and I thought I don't even know why I did this I told her in the middle of a because I didn't tell her right away when WWE offered me the contract because I kept thinking it wasn't going to happen so I was like ah there's no point I'm not going to jinx it and then the visa process started and then time started ticking and I was like okay 
and then it wasn't falling through. Like it was actually happening. <laughs> it and was, I was really like, happening. I was like, I'm going to have to tell her. <laughs> like, so I was like, okay, I'll tell her in a public place. Because if I sit her down. All right. Not really. Okay, not really. never mind. <laughs> you know, I was like, I'll sit down. I'll, I'll tell her. We'll sit and have Costa. You know, Costa, you know. Uh, and she'll be fine. You know, she can't get angry at me. She's not going to yell at me in a public place. Little did you know. <laughs> Little did I know. The wrath Little did you know. Of, the wrath of mummy Ash, the mummy ASH. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I remember telling her and she was just so angry and she went through like weird stages of denial and thinking it wasn't going to happen. And I've lived here for five years and even now she still thinks, oh, when are you coming home? And I'm like, mom, like, Tune into BT Sport every Monday. I was like, so it's just, it's, I think it's just protectiveness. Sure, um, sure. It's mom's and she instinct. supports me. Yeah, like, and she supports me. And it's just, you know, I just, it's, it's hard. I'm the baby and she has to. What was, what was mom's reaction when you won the Raw Women's Championship? <laughs> and I, I really, I never want to cause her offense. So I really hope I'm not going to, I don't know if she fully, like, I think she, like, wrestling to her was just, it was her, the gener- like her generation just doesn't, like to her, she just, she knows like Big Daddy and she knew like the world of sport. Sure. And I think when she finds out her daughter is going to become a wrestler, she's like, what do you mean? Because she was always pushing me to do, I was in dance school for 10 years. You know, she was like, she loved me doing dancing and all that. So I think for her, it was such a boy sport and she's, you know, and that's, that's, it's just her, it's just their generation. Um, so I don't really think she fully, I think she's like, oh, yay, she won. Oh, that's she won a sweet. championship. <laughs> she's like, sweet, but I don't think she fully, like, are we kind the of magnitude booking, of what we're doing. <laughs> are we kind of booking Nikki A.S.H. versus Mama A.S.H. right here on <laughs> no, After the Bell? Oh, no. This is going to come down. I think it became, it just, I think it, it's kind of weird for her. Like, it's just her trying to digest it. And it's like, when she sees it on, like, Scottish news, she had this weird smile. My sister told me she had this weird smile on her face. So I think she gets it. I just don't think she... She obviously... There's a lot that I, you know, haven't told her about my journey just because I don't want to worry her. I don't want to scare her. I don't want to, like... So there's... I don't think she's realised a lot of my journey. Like, and that's fine. I don't, like... I mean, she knows now if she watches this, but... Yeah, I was going to say, you really just let the cat out of the bag, Nikki. <laughs> Sorry, mom. Your mom clicks the link. She doesn't even... She doesn't have a smartphone. You guys don't... Like, we still talk oh, on a... La- we still talk her. on a landline. We still talk on a landline on a house phone. So she uh, she doesn't have a smartphone, so it's fine. I'm envious. <laughs> I, 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 your mom's living her living her best life. She's yeah, doing it the right she way, right? She has a flip phone would, where he didn't yeah. have the internet at the push of a button to say yeah, something seriously. late at night. <laughs> I tried to teach her. I remember going home for Christmas a couple of years ago, and I think I spent the two weeks just trying to teach her how is how to use like a Nokia smartphone, and it was it was like it was like intense training. And then as soon as I left, she forgot how to use it again. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I don't get it what it's about parents because my mom will not get rid of her smartphone. My dad, or her flip phone for a smartphone, my dad refuses to get a, a smartphone. He has to have the flip phone, and I don't understand why because then he complains about grocery shopping. <laughs> when I say you can do it on a smartphone, Dad, it gets delivered right to your door. I, I don't get what, <laughs> the, what, what the parents don't Vic, like about it. Nikki's almost a superhero, not almost a therapist. Okay? Well, this she is not could the be a superhero and send my dad superpowers and just get the damn <laughs> smartphone already. Uh, hey, you. I love the flip phone. I love a good old flip phone. I there mean, it's nostalgia. Like, who doesn't? Snake, <laughs> when you're playing Snake. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, yeah, Snake was a fun game. 
Uh, but oh, you let's know, bring you, back the old calculators from high school that used to play games on too, Vic. Uh, the Texas Instruments, the ones that were like as big I as I never laptops. had one of those. I refused but to get I learned one. That's why I, I failed math. I learned a lot about the drug trade. <laughs> What oh, calculator? <laughs> yeah, there was a there was a game. There was a game called Drug Dealer that, that I swear to God, it, it was like readily available. Uh, see, my, Dan, our producer knows this the is not making the show. There's drug, no way in hell this makes the show. It was a game. Look, I'm not condoning it. It was this was God 15 years ago, 20 years ago now. Mm. But you used to sit in math class, and you needed these special calculators for actual math. And yeah. they had games you could download, like pre-internet games. And, and there was one called Drug Dealer. You had to buy drugs and sell them to other people. Nikki, do you wish you took school over here in the States now rather than over in Scotland? Because it's <laughs> games on calculus. It explains a lot. <laughs> so for me, I thought the biggest achievement was being able to write booby. Like, oh, B-O- yeah, yeah, yeah. Eight, eight, zero, zero, eight. I knew it by heart. One, three. He knew very quickly what I was talking about. I'm a a dinosaur. (laughs) We forget that. G3 Assistance through Virginia's Community Colleges is your pathway to a new future. Helping those who qualify pay for school and train for the right career. Right where you are, right now. Learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3. Nikki, I want to talk about, take it back to your, your journey here in WWE. You, you arrived in NXT several years back. Uh, you obviously found a little bit of success as part of Sanity. You had had some incredible matches. Uh, the last woman standing with Asuka stands out to me. Uh, I was actually lucky enough that was one of the last NXT matches I remember being able to call. Uh, fast forward, I'm not trying to gloss over. You had some great times in NXT, but you arrived on uh, the main roster, so to speak, Raw and SmackDown, sort of as Alexa Bliss's sidekick. You were... You were always sort of an, and I hate to use this, I don't mean this in a disparaging way, you were almost like an outlier. You were a sidekick. You stuck with it. You've evolved as a superstar. And now you're getting to taste the glory of the spotlight. It is Nikki A-S-H, not Nikki as Alexa's best friend, not as this side role, that side role. What does it mean, and, and what sort of validation do you feel now at this point in your career going, you get to stand in your own two feet and be a star? <sighs> just a a lot of pride and for me it's like I think I when I think about my times with Sanity like that was some of the most fun I've ever had in my career because literally working with like my best friend and my husband um and I learned a lot and it was so much fun playing that you know chaotic unpredictable character and then I loved working with Alexa and it it was like a really when I first got called when I went to Raw it was I was like the outsider and I didn't fit in and the, we kind of had to evolve and we had to we had to kind of change from the NXT Nikki to make up you know for the the, the the Monday Night Raw audiences and so then that was that was a change of pace and then that was then working in a tag team where you know I'd always been a singles person a singles competitor on the indies and then I was like a, a valley part of a stable then went into singles and then I'd never been in a tag team before so I got to really explore that but being kind of like sat like on my own as Nikki ASH as the Raw Women's Champion it's like it's as an incredible feeling and that's not and that's not to say like I had some of the best times of my career with Sanity and with Alexa but there's this awesome feeling of like I did this do you know what I mean and it was like and it I don't know. Yeah. An incredible amount of validation. And it was like, and it's also this feeling of like, that, like, my, like this is my time. Do you know what I mean? And it's absolutely, I don't know. It's such an awesome feeling. Like, 
And that's not to discount any anything that I did before because all of those experiences made this what it is, you know, like I needed all I needed to go through all those experiences. Um it makes the victory all, that much sweeter, sure. Yeah, and it's like a pieces of pieces of a puzzle, you know. Um, but yeah, to be here on my own, it's like yeah. I don't know if we can cuss on this. <laughs> no, nah, we can do whatever we want. We have yeah, anything to do with that. What did it feel like when you were able to see the outpouring of support and emotion after you won the Raw Women's title? I was sitting there ringside when it happened. I went back backstage and you were still out there celebrating with the fans. The arena was rocking. There, there was a litany of, of the, the locker room standing in gorilla waiting for you to come back and, and really show their support. Social media was on fire for about two days uh, of just all these well wishes and, and supported messages. What did that feel like? Because let's be honest, in this day and age, that's very rare. <laughs> um, it's kind of weird because one part is like, um, there's one side that's kind of like, Oh man, like it's a little overwhelming because you're kind of like, whoa, why is this all for me? <laughs> like you're kind of yeah. like, whoa, like, um, and then there's the other part that's like, I kind of feel like I did something right. Like, um, you know, I, I've always, I'm not perfect by any means, and but I've always tried to, and I've, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm not perfect, but I've always tried to treat people well. Um, and I've obviously, you know, you know, make, you make mistakes, you're, you grow up in this industry um, and there's times you, like you mess up and there's times where your ego gets the better of you and then you're humbled and then you're, but you always, I always try to treat people well because I know what it's like to be treated badly. So uh, for me, I was always trying to treat people well and it just kind of felt like getting all these messages. It was like, I felt like, and I don't know, I don't mean it's sound egotistical. It was almost like every person I'd worked with or every person I'd shared a locker room with had like reached out and I was like, man, I had, I guess I did something right with my life that people like wanted to reach out. And it was like, um, and I just, I don't know. It's just kind of like, all right, okay, I did good. Okay. And then coming back and seeing all the women in the locker room, it was like, I didn't expect, I, I, don't, I don't know what I expected. I don't, I expected a couple of people there. I expected like Sarah Schreiber there. Cause that's one of my best friends. Like I, like I expected a couple people there, but I didn't expect like a full locker room to be there. And it was just, it was just incredible. Well, you did something right. You bet on yourself. So I kind of want to go back to the ASH character because, look, all of us have had the conversations with the bosses, and we know it's a nerve-wracking experience. Was this ASH character for you the Hail Mary? Was this the final shot? Was this like your breaking point? You went all in? Yeah. It's fun. No one's actually asked me that. Um, yeah, it, it really felt like, all right, this is that. This is Hail Mary, as you said. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. No one's asked me that. Um, like, <laughs> oh, um, she wasn't prepared. This there is you good. go. Good job, Vic. Welcome to After the Bell. <laughs> Finally did something right after all these months. <laughs> the good news is, Nikki, there are no wrong answers. Um, no, you know, I think, I think it was. And I think you said bet on yourself. And it, it was that Hail Mary moment where you're like, you know, there, um, I, I needed, there needed to be a change. That was really apparent to me um that was really apparent to me around about the royal rumble and we we told this fun story on social media and we told this fun story on digital about me qualifying for the match and we made a story out of that but around about royal rumble it was like it was so clear and so apparent that and like there needed to be a change and i just that was it and it was like you know we i spent 
hours and hours like researching this idea and track getting this pitch right. And I commissioned this artist to um, draw up what Nikki ASH would be as a cartoon character. And, um, you know, in, to your point, you, you take it to the boss and you just, it's like you're, 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 you're nervous, but you're also confident. And I'm, I've believed in this idea so much. So you're just like, all right, let's get in and do it. And it's just, you have to kind of put your nerves aside and push down the butterflies because at the end of the day, you, it was a, I believed in the pitch on a personal level. I believed in it on a business sense. I was like, this is good business. This is good idea. Um, but I also believed in it, like the heart of it, I think it's just very pure and very wholesome. And it's something that I really wanted to portray because I wanted to, I wanted to do, I want to portray something fun and joyful, like, because it makes me happy, you know, and I, I want to try and make others happy. And also for business sense, it, it was, I knew it was a great idea that I believed in. So it was just about kind of swallowing, swallowing the nerves and just going in and doing it. But yeah, it did, it did feel like a bit of a Hail Mary. That's a good way to describe it. <laughs> you, you've been very open about the influence that the Hurricane character has had on the Nikki A.S.H. character, but I would dare say Nikki's a little more nuanced. It's, it's a, there's a little more depth to it than girl who believes she's a superhero. If you listen to what you say, it's you are almost a superhero. It's very much about self-belief, self-empowerment. Where did a lot of this sort of uh, mentality come from for the character? It was actually, so it was, it, it was for me, it was... Um, I, want, I knew I wanted something inspirational and empowering and something people could relate to. So I, I just think, okay, when I was like that really awkward, you know, when I was in the awkward teenage years or preteen years, I was like, all right, there was like, I felt a lot of awkwardness and a lot of like, you know, fighting from underneath in a different way, you know, being in school and stuff. So for me, I was like, all right, how do we make this relatable? And it's kind of, if you, I think our audiences, they're very intelligent. You know, they, they, you know, and I, I wanted something they would, they could get behind like a 10 year old girl, just like a, a Nikki, like just like I was when I was that age. I wanted something they could relate to and get behind. And I think display, portraying the character like that and presenting it like that, like, hey, listen, guys, I know I don't have superpowers. I'm just saying that when I put on the cape and the mask, I can try anything. And it felt really, it felt very real because I remember the first time I put on the gear, and as much as I believed in the character and the confidence I had with it, I was still kind of nervous. To, I was still nervous. And But when I actually put on the cape and the mask and the costume for the first time, it was uh, a hell in a cell pay-per-view. And I tried on the costume for the first time and we had the mask and I re uh, trained in the, the practice ring at the Tropicana and just trying to make sure, like I'd never wrestled in a mask before. So I was like, okay, let me make sure that this actually fits and will not move around when I'm running the ropes. Because that was something Hurricane kept saying. He was like, the mask has to stay on. Like, no matter what, your mask can't come off and it needs to be safe to work in because if it covers your eyes, someone goes to, you know, shoot you off, it's dangerous for you and the person. And I was like, whoa, I never even thought of that. Um, but yeah, so I put on the, I'm feeling a little nervous, but then I, I actually did, have this newfound confidence like legit when I put on the cape and the mask and the costume like I felt empowered like I felt I felt awesome so it was I think there was a lot of realness that we wanted to bring to the surface with this and and you know it was it was Vince as well it was like the tweaks he had was you know he he wanted something very nuanced he wanted something that little girls could relate to he wanted something accessible to our audience and it, it made it like the collaboration, it just it made it it made it better.
it made it it made it better and I was so satisfied when it came to life because I was like this has been months of like this has been months of pitching and researching and working together as a collaboration um between me and the teams at WWE and it was just seeing it brought to life and it was the hard work of not just me it was the hard work of trying to get this pitch right so it was you know for them as well I'm sure it was I hope it was satisfying for them as well because it was the cultivation of a few people's hard work not just one person which was good (laughs) (laughs) it worked out in your favor Earlier in the in the show, Vic and I were discussing just some of our favorite characters. Uh, Nikki Ash is definitely a character, particularly in 2021. You stand out yeah. as almost a throwback. Uh, who, I, obviously, you're a lifelong fan of sports entertainment. Who are some of your favorite characters throughout the history of the business? Uh, wrestling, or yeah, I would say I would they're say gimmicks. Gimmick, uh, the, the sort of we, we mentioned the hurricane, the and, and gold and the dust, mighty and some Mollies of the real, and things. Yeah, right, the over the top characters. Yeah, over for me, over the top. You know, he's not over the top, but Rey Mysterio has been such a massive, a massive thing, especially in the last few months. And because I'm, I've been in with like more from like kind of more powerful and taller and more powerful and stronger talents. So I, you know, I found myself watching so many, you know, going back and watching, rewatching so many Rey matches, just because of like counters and like. A lot of the stuff he would do as a smaller competitor. So I don't know, it's not over the over the top, but you know, I think Ray Mysterio and even just the way he connects with the fans and you know, when coming down with the mask and things, it's like, oh yes. Um Kane scared the crap out of me. He <laughs> honestly, he scared the sh- bejesus out of me. Like it was like what Michael Nikki. Myers. <laughs> Michael Myers and Halloween. Yes. Yes. You know, I can't cuss. I'm a superhero mm. that come on. No, no, I know good catch. <laughs> that I was great. Know. But you know, I remember watching him do the setup and I was like, I was like, because I was a you know a massive fan of Halloween like Michael Myers. So yeah. I was reminded of that. So Kane scared the life out of me. Um and then you know Kurt Angle was always like what I loved about Kurt Angle was like he was so funny and goofy and like literally could play so many different characters and wear so many different hats. But when the bell rang after the bell, see what I did there? <laughs> um, you know, so Kurt Angle, the minute the bell rang, he was just this intense, fierce, like technician that was just, you know, I don't think, I, I can't think of a lot of names that match him in intensity. Sure. So, you know, Kurt Angle was a, a huge thing for me and, you know, so it was, yeah, like I'm trying to think of the, you know, I was always, I know I was a big Lita fan, you know, I'm sure you guys have heard that a lot from the female superstars, you know, I think Lita really, you know, changed, I think changed, um, you know, changed the game in a lot of ways. And but then you also, you know, people, you always have to remember there was, you know, names like Jacqueline and Ivory that were, you know, they were, you know, putting on, I remember watching Sunday Night Heat, you know, yeah. they showed on Channel 4, um, back in Scotland, back in the day, 2000. And it was like, I was like, oh my goodness. And they were like, the women would have these eight to 10 minute matches on Sunday Night Heat. And one of my favorite matches I ever saw was uh, Molly Holly versus Jacqueline. It was one of the best matches that I, I'd, I'd seen. I was like, oh my goodness. You know, because they're just it, back in 2000. And it was just, yeah, that time. It's very cool that that speaks to the importance because obviously you can relate that sometimes you're not in the in the sexiest spot on the card and you're not getting all of the adulation that sometimes everybody feels they deserve. But what you just mentioned is living proof that a random quote unquote throwaway match on Sunday Night Heat is still sticking with you, Nikki, this many years later. 
everybody's yeah. every opportunity to step out in the ring is an opportunity to make an impression on someone. Absolutely. Like, like a hundred million and 10%. I can't even like stress. Like that is so important to me. Like I remember, you know, we did the, uh, a couple of, before the superhero character started almost a superhero. Um, we did this lumberjack match and I think it was hard. It was hurricane pitched that he was like, cause he was producing the segment and he was like, well, if we had like a, one of the, one of the girls out there, you know, Nikki's not doing some, not doing anything on the show. Can we have Nikki in as like the only lumber, the only female lumberjack, right. you know, lumberjill? And it was like I think ten seconds of TV time, and it was like make the most of that, you know, be like I'm, I will be the most excited lumberjill you guys will ever see. I will be a lumberjill. I will be the best lumberjill ever, you know. It was just, for me. It was just you make the most of it. Um, any match, like you make a four minute match eight minute match ten minute match match on main event match on Smackdown match on NXT NXT UK match on Raw like you just make the most of your time it doesn't matter how many how much time you have make the most of it because you might never get the chance ever again and that's something I've all, like I've literally carried that throughout my entire career and it's it's never served me wrong. <laughs> well, you're living proof that uh, every every opportunity is a valid one, and you've made the most of it. You now find yourself as the uh, the top of the mountain in the Raw Women's Division. Before we let you go, I need to know. I know you're only almost a superhero. We know you don't actually have superpowers, but does Nikki Ash have any sort of hidden talents or secret that the WWE universe may not be aware of? Do you know I'm a really good. I'm just off the top of my head. I'm a really good parallel parker. Really? <laughs> Seriously, no. I am unmatched. If you, I mean, my husband, if you ask my husband or anyone who's ever been in a car with me, apparently I'm not a good driver. Um, I can contest to that. You know, apparently, like, I drive on the other side of the road sometimes. And, you know, sometimes, you know, it just, it happens. You know, it happens. Like, I'm not going to be judged. Who's anyone to judge my driving? You always veer to the right where it goes, and then it's like, oh, I need to get back on the road. So you come back yeah. to the left. You know, it's one of these things. Like, people just, <laughs> like, don't be so pernitic, you know? Like, I, you know, I can, I, I'm st- as long as I stay in the lane, you know, it's fine. There's and, you know, slightly I'll, more than that, but let's not argue semantics. You know, we don't have to get into the, <laughs> the ins and outs of this one. <laughs> you know, but I will say, you know, and it did take me a few times to pass my driving test in the UK. And it actually took me a couple of tries to pass my test in Florida as well, which is so funny. <laughs> but despite all of that, I'm an amazing parallel parker. I am so good. I could parallel park anything. The Nicky Mobile. That is, that is a bold statement. Nicky ASH can parallel park anything we might have to find some way to put that to the test when we get to vegas we are we are (laughs) rapidly approaching allegiant stadium nikki you're going to be defending your raw women's championship against both charlotte flair and rhea ripley triple threat match what are you most looking forward to this is like the biggest match of my career you know i've never had them like the amount of people that will be there um and this is not like i did SummerSlam a couple of years ago and it was we were on the, it was me and Alexa versus Iconics on the kickoff show. And this is my first time on, this is like, like you're on yeah, the marquee now. And it's like, <laughs> you're all women's like, champion now, Nikki. It didn't get any bigger than that. Yeah. And it's the biggest match of my career. And it's like, I don't even know, like the nerves, the butterflies, the excitement and being in front of the fans again. And it's like, to me, it's, it's, it's WrestleMania, you know, like it's for, for me, like, yeah, like, 
I don't, yeah, sorry, that's not much of an answer. Sorry. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. The, the nerves and the butterflies, the smile on your face for anybody watching this on uh, social media it tells the tale, uh, the excitement in your eyes. Nikki, congratulations on all of your recent success. Good luck at SummerSlam. Vic, you have any uh, final words for almost a superhero? Um, almost a superhero from Turner's Hall to Coco Loops in Florida to SummerSlam. Congratulations on everything. <laughs> Very happy for you. And of course, I'll be watching on Saturday here in a few weeks. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for having me. Oh, anytime. You're always welcome here on After the Bell. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you, guys. I'm going to go and parallel park the Nikki Mobile now. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> Tag us. T- videotape it. Tag us. <laughs> that was cool. I, I honestly have to say, I, I don't know Nikki extremely well. Uh, I, I've We've, like anyone in the company, you brush shoulders from time to time, but uh, that was the first time I've had a chance to sit down and really get to get to know her a little bit, pick her brain. Very, very interesting, very, very determined young woman. I think on Monday coming up, you should ask one of the semi-truck drivers that loads in and loads out, hey, let Nikki ASH parallel park this 18-wheeler. I There's your is, challenge to the I Raw Women's a, Champion. That's great. That's a fantastic. Let's add a stipulation to the Raw Women's Championship match. The, uh, the, the, well, never mind, because that would mean Nikki would lose. I don't want to wish that upon her. Not after that interview. I'm a, kind of a Nikki ASH fan after that. It's very hard to make you a fan of something. So she, she must have done good here today because you're glowing once again. That's the effect of being almost a superhero. Well, the good news is you too, ATB listener, can also be almost a superhero. And you can do that by following at After the Bell, WWE on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can find me at WWE Graves. You can find him at Vic Joseph, WWE. Listen for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you choose to get your podcasts. If it is Spotify, search After the Bell hit the follow button. If you're using Apple Podcast, smash the little plus sign on the ATB page so you never miss an episode while you're there. Please, please, please give us that ever important five-star rating. Leave us a review. Help spread the word of the greatest mm-hmm. sports entertainment podcast on the planet Earth. You can keep up with all your favorite WWE podcast shows at WWE Podcasts on all social media platforms. We'll be back next week with more wisdom more vitriol, a very special look at SummerSlam, and more WWE after the bell.